0: the window for which you have been waiting so patiently. This is that special one worth waiting for. The story of the evolution of a pearl is impressively complex. How much more? The life of the priceless pearl, Shoghi Effendi Rabbani. Now that you are anxious and the window is ready, Let this window from these windows to the past open to the life story of the unique and only guardian of the Baha'i faith, Shoghi Effendi. O Shoghi Effendi, O guardian, thou art divine. O Shoghi Effendi, O God's sign, the priceless pearl, a title of thine. O Gusne Mumtaus, O Chosen Branch, Thou art divine. O Shovi, with name yearning divine, Your lineage from the most holy line. O we offend Effendi, O Guardian, Thou art divine. O Guardian, the chosen branch beyond compare, may it be worthy, this offering of mine, O Gusne Mumtaz, O chosen branch, thou art divine. This brief presentation on the eventful and extraordinary accomplishments of Shoghi Effendi, the guardian of the Baha'i Faith from 1921 until his passing in 1957, is not meant to take the place of a thorough reading of his own writings and biographies. It is meant as an introduction for new believers and inquirers to help develop an appreciation and awareness of his station, life, and work which was absolutely essential to the unity and development of the Baha'i Faith. This presentation has been extracted from the following sources.
1: The Will and Testament of Abdul Baha. The World Order of Baha'u'llah by Shoghi Effendi. The Advent of Divine Justice by Shoghi Effendi. Messages to America by Shoghi Effendi. The Priceless Pearl by Hand of the Cause Amato Baha Ruhi Khanom. Shoghi Effendi. Recollections by Hand of the Cause Dr. Hugo Giacari. A tribute to Shoghi Effendi by hand of the Cause, Amelia Collins. Pilgrim Notes by hand of the Cause, William Sears. The Covenant of the Hawala by Adib Taherzadeh. From Strength to Strength by Eunice Braun.
0: This talk will be presented in four parts. The first described his family background, childhood. Youth, His Appearance, Personality and Character. The next section pertains to the position conferred upon him by the will and testament of Abdu'l-Baha and brief explanation of Baha'u'llah's covenant. The third part covers some of his major accomplishments with brief explanations and part four Is on his passing.
1: Sholgi Effendi was born on March first, eighteen ninety seven, in Akah, Israel. As his great-grandfather Bahá'u'lláh and his grandfather Abdu'l-Bahá Abbas had been exiled there from their native country of Iran. He was the firstborn of his mother, Ziyeh, the eldest daughter of Abdu'l-Bahá. His father was Mirza Hadi Shirazi, a descendant of a relative of the Bab. From the time of his birth, Abdu'l-Bahá was aware of the capacity and future of his first grandson. In 1897, in reply to an inquiry from a believer in America about the biblical prophecy, a little child shall lead them, Abdu'l-Bahá wrote, O made servant of God, verily, that child is born and is alive, and from him will appear wondrous things that thou wilt hear of in the future. Thou shalt behold him endowed with the most perfect appearance. Supreme Capacity Absolute perfection, consummate power and unsurpassed might. His face will shine with a radiance that illumines all the horizons of the world. Therefore forget this not, as long as thou dost live, inasmuch as ages and centuries will bear traces of him." Abdu'l-Bahá gave him the surname Rebbani, which means divine, and Shoghi, meaning one who yearns. Effendi is a term of respect, and the master called him Sholgi Effendi from childhood on and required everyone else to address him as Shoghi Effendi. There is an account left by a Western pilgrim who observed the love between Abdu'l-Bahá and Shoghi Effendi. Quote, a small figure appeared in the open doorway, directly opposite Abdu'l-Bahá. Having dropped off his shoes, he stepped into the room with his eyes focused on the master's face. Abdu'l-Bahá returned his gaze with such a look of loving welcome it seemed to beckon the small one to approach him. Shoghi, that beautiful little boy with his exquisite cameo face and his soulful, appealing, dark eyes, walked slowly toward the divan, the master drawing him as by an invisible thread, until he stood quite close in front of him. As he paused there for a moment, Abdu'l-Bahá did not offer to embrace him, but sat perfectly still, only nodding his head, as if to say, You see, this tie connecting us is not just that of a physical grandfather, but something far deeper and more significant. While we watched breathlessly to see what he would do, the little boy reached down and, picking up the hem of Abdu'l-Bahá's robe, he touched it reverently to his forehead and kissed it then gently replaced it while never taking his eyes from the adored master's face. The next moment he turned away and scampered off to play. End quote. This was 1899, and Shogi Effendi was only two years old. A pilgrim to the house of the master in 1904 related the following to Hand of the Cause, Yugo Jiakiri. Quote, Shoghi Effendi was at the time a child of seven or eight years of age. When not engaged in his early morning studies, he followed his grandfather, Abdu'l-Bahá, wherever he went. He was almost like his shadow and passed long hours, listening quietly and silently to every word he uttered. The child had a remarkably retentive memory. The master would ask him either to recite some passage from Baha'u'llah's writings which he had memorized or to chant a prayer it was very moving to hear the limpid crystal chanting of that child because all his being and soul were engaged in communion with god eagerness was ever present and animated him like a flame of fire in all he did End quote. in addition to this remarkable reverential devotion and attachment to his beloved grandfather abdul baha shoghi effendi had boundless energy Irrepressible exuberance with his playmates, and was so fair and tender hearted that if any disagreements had occurred, he would not go to sleep until he had embraced his playmate and re established happiness. He urged his little companions to make up their differences before they went to bed. Childhood photos of Shoghi Effendi portray a wistful, delicate face and large dark eyes with a gaze both penetrating and gentle. In the biography, The Priceless Pearl, his widow, Hand of the Cause, Amatol Baha Ruhi Khanom, writes that his eyes were a clear hazel which sometimes changed to a warm and luminous gray. Quote, I have never seen such an expressive face and eyes as those of the guardian. Every shade of feeling and thought was mirrored in his visage as light and shadow are reflected on water. End quote. She writes that Shoghi Effendi was more akin physically to his great-grandfather, Baha'u'llah, being short of stature and fine-boned. The greatest holy leaf, his great-aunt, would say of his hands, These are like the hands of my father. In 1912, when he was 15, Abdu'l-Baha planned for Shoghi Effendi to accompany him on his historic journey to Europe and America. They departed together from the port of Alexandria, Egypt, but at the first docking at Naples, Italy, health authorities denied landing privilege to Shoghi Effendi and two others in Abdu'l-Bahá's party, claiming they had eye disease. Abdu'l-Bahá made every effort to change this decision, which had no basis in fact, but was a malicious interference by someone in the company of Abdu'l-Bahá, who later became a covenant-breaker. One can hardly imagine the distress and grief of Abdu'l-Bahá and Shoghi Effendi when they had to part, Shoghi Effendi returning to Haifa. As will be mentioned later on in this presentation, Shoghi Effendi suffered many blows and heartaches from the malice of the covenant breakers throughout his life. He was reunited with his beloved grandfather in August 1913. A physician who attended the ladies of Abdu'l-Bahá's household left reminiscences of a visit in 1910. She reports that Abdu'l-Bahá spoke to her about Shoghi Effendi as follows, quote, Before his ascension into eternal light, the blessed manifestation reminded me that I must observe among my sons and grandsons whom God would indicate for his office. My sons pass to eternity in their tenderest years. In my line among my relatives only little shogi has the shadow of a great calling in the depths of his eyes. At the present time the British Empire is the greatest and is still expanding and its language is a world language. My future vizier shall receive the preparation for his weighty office in England itself after he has obtained here in Palestine a fundamental knowledge of the Oriental languages and the wisdom of the East. End quote.
0: Shoghi Effendi attended school in Haifa, then the American University in Beirut, graduating in 1918 as Bachelor of Arts. He then served the Master as his secretary and chief aide. In August 1918, Palestine now the country of Israel, was liberated by the rapid and victorious advance of British forces, frustrating the plan of the Turkish commander-in-chief, Jamal Pasha, to crucify Abdul Baha and his whole family. After World War I, the doors were opened for communications and pilgrims, making the life of the master extremely busy. Shoghi Effendi spent a happy and productive two years serving Abdul Baha as secretary and chief aide with boundless energy and devotion, helping to lift the burden from his shoulders and receiving profound spiritual influence in close communication with his beloved grandfather. Amatul Baha Ruhi Khanam writes, quote, during these years when the star of Abdul Baha's fame was rising, Shoghi Effendi had the opportunity of observing how the master dealt with high officials and the numerous men of distinction drawn to one whom many regarded as little less than an oriental prophet and the greatest religious figure in Asia, as well as how the master conducted himself in the face of the ever-present envy and intrigue of his enemies and ill-wishers. The lessons learned were to be reflected in the thirty-six years of Shoghi Effendi's own ministry to the faith of Baha'u'llah End However necessary Shoghi Effendi's assistance was to the master, the decision had been made that Shoghi Effendi would further his education in England at Balliol College of Oxford University. He started his studies there in October 1920. His course of study at Oxford was cut short when the most unexpected and grievous news reached him that his beloved grandfather had passed away on November 28, 1921. Shoghi Effendi arrived back in Haifa one month later which was as soon as possible for him, physically weakened and crushed with bereavement. Before we take up the events following his learning that abdul Baha had made him the guardian of the cause of God, we will digress to a few of the wonderful descriptions of his personality and character given to us by some who were very close to him. So we can have a better picture in mind of the qualities of intellect and spirit that became completely and sacrificially devoted to the awesome responsibility and rigors of fulfilling the station bestowed upon him. Hand of the Cows Amelia Collins in a tribute to Shoghi Effendi wrote, In 1923, I first met our beloved guardian in Haifa. He was, just a young man then, full of determination to carry forward the great work entrusted to his care. He was so spontaneous, so trusting and loving and outgoing in the buoyancy of his beautiful heart. Through the years we all watched with wonder an ever-deepening devotion to him and appreciation of his God-given gifts, the unfoldment of Baha'u'llah's divine order, which he built up so patiently and wisely all over the world. But, O oh friends, at what great cost to himself? The guardian had a profound and innate humility. Whenever the faith was involved, he was fiery in its defense, kinglike. In the loftiness of his bearing, the authority with which he spoke. But as a human being, he was self-effacing, would brush aside our adulation and praise, turn everything we wished to shower on him towards the central figures of our faith. He would never allow any photographs to be taken of himself or give any of himself but invariably encouraged the friends to place the master's picture in their rooms. He disliked any signs of personal worship, though he could never control what was in our hearts for him. How can I ever describe to you his eyes when he would come over to the pilgrim house and announce to us a new achievement? They sparkled with light and enthusiasm and his beautiful face would be all smiles."
1: In The Priceless Pearl, Hand of the Cause Ametol Beha Ruhia Khanom writes in the chapter entitled Facets of Shoghi Effendi's Personality, He was fundamentally a very tender-hearted person and expressed this innate kindness and tenderness not only to those who surrounded him, but to the believers personally, in many ways. Shoghi Effendi, like his grandfather and great-grandfather before him, had a delightful sense of humor which was ready to manifest itself if he were given any chance to be happy or enjoy a little peace of mind. He was very tenacious of his purposes, very determined but never unreasonable. Although he never changed his objectives, he sometimes changed the course he had planned to take to reach them. Economy was a very rigid principle with Sholgi Effendi, and he had very stern ideas on money matters. I never saw the Guardian settle a bill he had not first carefully added up, whether it was for a meal or a payment of thousands of dollars. If there was an overcharge, he pointed it out, and also if there was an undercharge. He was against extravagance, ostentation, and luxury as such denying himself many things because he felt they were either not justified or not appropriate. The extreme reverence he showed to the twin manifestations of God and to Abdu'l-Bahá, whether in his writings, his speech, or the manner in which he approached their resting places, provides a permanent pattern for all Baha'is to follow. Whenever Shoghi Effendi was near one of the shrines, One could sense his awareness of this in his whole being. The way he walked as he neared it, the way he quietly and with great dignity and reverence approached the threshold, knelt, and placed his forehead upon it, the way he never turned his back when inside the shrine on that spot where one of those infinitely holy and precious beings was interred, the tone of his voice, his dignified lack of any levity on such occasions, all bore witness to the manner in which man should approach a holy of holies, going softly on sacred ground, End quote. She goes on to relate how the gardens in Bachi and at the Bahá'í World Center in Haifa were designed exclusively by the guardian, that the style of the Shrine of the Bab, the classic design of the International Archives building were his, that the interior decorating in the holy shrines and other places connected with Baha'u'llah was chosen and placed by Shoghi Effendi, that he was unhampered by tradition and extremely original and ingenious in achieving effects. To quote, The Guardian was truly an extraordinary man. There is no end to the examples that come to mind when one thinks of his nature and his achievements. He had a heart so faithful to those who were faithful to him that its counterpart could scarcely be found, End quote. In Hand of the Cause, Yugoja carries book called simply Shogi Effendi. There is a chapter entitled His Spiritual Virtues. The writer lovingly details descriptions of Shoghi Effendi's great faith, humility and selflessness his connection with the divine source, his eagerness and perseverance and generosity. Dr. Jiakere writes, Of all the characteristics that Shoghi Effendi possessed, the one that I believe was at the very core of his personality and was deeply rooted in his soul was the immense faith he had, his complete reliance on the efficacy of Baha'u'llah's revelation. He clung to his teachings with a tenacity that cannot be likened to anything. His whole being was permeated with the power of the revelation, and this is the reason that all who came near him or in contact with him felt so safe, so assured, so regenerated. Of his humility and selflessness, he writes, Humility of a kind not yet known elsewhere was one of Shoghi Effendi's many unique virtues, a humility which came from the conviction that man's faculties are not self-created but are a precious trust from God. Yet he emanated true pride and dignity, such a regal dignity that raised him far above any man I have yet met or known. He never placed his personal interest or desire Ahead of his functions as guardian, those who were near to him inevitably felt that his life was something to be fully expended in the service of God and humanity, in a dedication unlike that of any other human being. He was always ready to give comfort, to encourage, to praise, and to stimulate to such a degree that one felt the urge to place at his disposal life, time, And possessions within the range of one's capacity. About Shoghi Effendi's involuntary connection with the divine source, Dr. Giacari writes Shoghi Effendi, like a sensitive instrument connected to the source of all powers, reacted involuntarily to the most imperceptible spiritual impulse, which activated his organism, making him capable of executing and discharging all functions and responsibilities related to the cause of God, without the slightest probability of error. This analysis, made at the very first meeting with him, explained to me clearly and conclusively the meaning of divine guidance and infallibility, two things that Shoghi Effendi could not voluntarily choose or control. A few times I had the great blessing of being permitted to accompany Shoghi Effendi to the shrines. As we walked along the paths of the gardens, I was very close to him, and there came a feeling I cannot well describe. He walked with much dignity and grace, his fine, intelligent face glowing with an inner light. During my lifetime I have met several kings and many great personages in the scientific, political, and ecclesiastical worlds. But never have I had the feeling of rapture and bliss that I felt in those unforgettable moments when I was so close to Shogi Effendi." End quote. Of his eagerness. Dr. Giacari wrote quote, I became aware of this burning flame within his soul, for it was manifested in the emphasis of his speech, in the penetrating and searching gaze of his intelligent eyes, in the swiftness of his action, and in the rewarding smile with which he recompensed those who acted promptly end quote, of his perseverance. Quote, Perseverance was one of Shoghi Effendi's most noble qualities and taught me many a lesson. His instructions to me to persevere under all circumstances became my second nature while I was privileged to work for the cause under his personal guidance. In nearly every letter I received from him over a period of many years, the word persevere is repeated. It had the power of a talisman for me, End quote. Of his generosity, quote, To be generous is one of the greatest qualities man can possess. It is rare to find on this earth an individual as generous as was Shoghi Effendi. He always considered the needs of others, before even thinking of himself. This was true not only for the spiritual wealth, which was his greatest heritage, but also for material things as well which he never sought, wanted, or desired for himself." End quote.
0: Part 2 is on the declarations in the Will and Testament of Abdu'l-Bahá, Establishing his first-born grandson, Shoghi Effendi, to be the sole interpreter and guardian of the Baha'i faith after the passing of Abdu'l-Baha. First of all, studying a copy of this will and testament must be a high priority of every believer, new or old, in order to attempt to grasp the significance of the guardian of the cause of God, Shoghi Effendi. In prior religious dispensations, the newly established faith, being unprotected by documentation of a clearly appointed successor, became subject to divisions and subdivisions for numerous causes such as doctrinal disputes, power interests, nationalistic interests, differing rituals and ceremonies. However in this day called by Bahaullah the day of God a new phenomenon is created which protects his faith from the human propensity for disagreement and that phenomenon is known to the Baha'is as the covenant of Bahaullah an excellent explanation of the meaning and historical impact of this covenant on both the steadfast believers and the rebellious is a book by mr adib tahrazade entitled the covenant of bahaullah with its summary in audio tape in the windows to the past series briefly to ensure the protection and growth of this faith bahaullah in his will appointed his eldest son abdul bahá as his successor abdul bahá in turn prepared a will and testament appointing his eldest grandson, Shoghi Effendi, to guard the cause of God, and emphatically stated that Shoghi Effendi must be obeyed. Quote, O ye the faithful loved ones of Abdu'l-Bahá, it is incumbent upon you to take the greatest care of Shoghi Effendi, the twig that had branched from the fruit, given forth by the two hallowed and divine low trees, that no dust of despondency and sorrow may stain his radiant nature, that day by day he may wax greater in happiness, in joy and spirituality, and may grow to become even as a fruitful tree. For he is, after Abdu'l-Baha, the guardian of the cause of God. The Afnan, the hands of the cause, and the beloved of the Lord, must obey him and turn unto him. He that obeyeth him not hath not obeyed God. He that turneth away from him hath turned away from God, and he that denieth him hath denied the true one." Quote. For those unfamiliar with some terminology, two hallowed and divine low trees refer to the two manifestations of God, the Bab and Baha'ullah, to whom Shoghi Effendi is related. Through his mother, he is related to Baha'ullah, and through his father, to the family of the Bab. Afnan refers to relatives of the Bab, hands of the cause refers to four specially devoted, selfless and capable believers chosen by Baha'ullah for certain duties. Thirty years later, Shoghi Effendi appointed several more believers as hands of the cause, being given the authority to do so by Abdu'l-Baha in his will and testament. Abdu'l-Baha's will and testament is about 23 pages in English translation and was written in three parts. In it are clear explanations about the power of the covenant of Baha'u'llah and Abdu'l-Baha's grievous experiences caused by those who rebelled against the covenant. In this will, Abdu'l-Bahá praises Shoghi Effendi as the, quote, most wondrous, unique, and priceless pearl that doth gleam from out the twin surging seas, end quote. And, quote, the blessed and sacred bough that had branched out from the twin holy trees, well is it with him that seeketh the shelter of his shade, that shadoweth all mankind? Abdul Baha declares that both the guardian and the universal house of justice are quote, both under the care and protection of the Abha Beauty, under the shelter and unerring an guidance of His Holiness, the Exalted One. Whatsoever they decide is of God. End quote. The term Abha beauty refers to Baha'u'llah, and His Holiness the Exalted One refers to the Bab. Also, in this document, Shoghi Effendi was referred to as Usne Mumtaz or the Chosen Branch. Abdul Baha mandates Shoghi Effendi to expound the words of God to appoint hands of the cause of God and direct them, to be the sacred head of the universal house of justice, to accept money offerings to be expended for the advancement of the faith, and to appoint his successor. The guardian was unable to appoint a successor because there was no existing person who could fulfill the specific requirements abdul Baha laid down For the successor to Shovi Effendi. For further details, please refer to the will and testament of Abdul Baha. Part Three
1: will briefly outline the stupendous accomplishments of the Guardian who had only a bare minimum of people assisting him and at times no one. These include his establishing the divinely ordained administrative order, setting into motion three teaching plans, purifying the faith from destructive association with covenant breakers, an immense amount of communication with national spiritual assemblies and individuals, receiving the pilgrims, writing books, expounding and interpreting the teachings of Baha'u'llah, erecting the superstructure of the Shrine of the Bab and the International Archives Building, making the gardens around both the shrines of the Bab and Baha'u'llah, translating into English the major writings of Baha'u'llah, maintaining relations with officials in Israel, extending Baha'i properties on Mount Carmel, and appointing and directing the hands of the cause. Any one of these activities could have been a life work for one man. In the same month, January 1922, that Shoghi Effendi learned that his beloved grandfather, Abdu'l-Baha, had appointed him to be the guardian, the chief covenant-breaker who had rebelled against Abdu'l-Bahá, became emboldened and demanded that the civil authorities make himself the custodian of Bahá'u'lláh's shrine. When this failed, the keys of the holy tomb were forcibly seized from the Bahá'í caretaker. The governor of Akka intervened, taking the keys and posted guards at the shrine. On top of this blow to the young guardian came another, that the Blessed House of Baha'u'llah in Baghdad was confiscated by the government of Iraq. Before the Guardian had any time to recover from his bereavement of the passing of the Master and his shock at being appointed the sole head of a loosely organized cause, he found himself in the cause facing malignant enemies. He called a meeting in March 1922 of several of the most devoted and able Baha'is from Europe Asia and America, to consult about the feasibility of electing the Universal House of Justice for the protection of the faith. But it was concurred that before this could be done, it must have a firm foundation, which would mean establishing local and national assemblies in those countries where there were Baha'is. The friends who had come to support and consult with him were then sent home with instructions to begin this work under his direction. By April, though, the strain of what he was being put through became unbearable. He appointed his great-aunt, Bahia Khanom, Abdu'l-Bahá's sister, to administer the affairs of the faith while he went to Germany to first consult with physicians on his depleted physical state, and then to Switzerland to gain healing spiritual and physical strength in seclusion in the Swiss Alps. He returned to Haifa in December 1922 and resumed the work laid before him by the provisions of the will and testament of Abdu'l-Bahá. His first activities were to initiate correspondence with all Baha'i centers in the world and receive pilgrims. This in itself was a full-time job, but the joy of it was beclouded by the continuing evil machinations of the covenant-breakers, those souls lost in the wilderness of self and passion, who imagined they could bring the cause of God to naught. He appealed to the civil authorities and had proof of his right, through the will and testament of Abdu'l-Bahá, to be the legitimate keeper of the shrine of Baha'u'llah. The matter was decided in his favor, and the safe keeping of the point of adoration of the Bahá'í world was secured. But all efforts to regain custody of the house of Bahá'u'lláh in Baghdad were frustrated and still are to this day. The final chapter and victory on that remains to be revealed.
0: One of the first things that the beloved guardian did in 1922 was to clarify the relationship he wished the Bahá'ís to have with him. In letters to the Baha'is of several countries, he stated that he wished to be known as one and only one of the many workers in his vineyard, to be regarded in no other light but that of a true brother united in common servitude to the master's threshold, to refer to him only as Shoghi Effendi. In the dispensation of Baha'u'llah written in 1934, he stated, quote, There is a far, far greater distance separating the guardian from the center of the covenant than there is between the center of the covenant and its author. End quote. In that passage, the center of the covenant refers to Abdul Baha and author. Refers to Baha'u'llah. To continue with the quote, though overshadowed by the unfailing, the unerring protection of Baha'u'llah and the Bab, and however much he may share with Abdul Baha'u the right and obligation to interpret the Baha'i teachings, he remains essentially human and cannot arrogate to himself under any pretense whatsoever the rights, the privileges, and the prerogatives which Baha'u'llah has chosen to confer upon his son, and This chapter goes on to state that he must not be addressed as Lord, Master, or his holiness, nor to be prayed to nor to celebrate his birthday. To return to the subject of the building up of the administrative order, which must be the firm foundation for the Universal House of Justice, in the early years not all the believers were aware of the need for administrative organization to evolve within the faith. Indeed, many felt that the lofty spiritual ideals and foresighted social principles in the Baha'i teachings would somehow permeate the world at large and affect changes for the better. Some actually felt that to impose organization would spoil the spirituality of the cause they loved. Therefore, they had to be patiently and lovingly guided by the guardian to accept the necessity and beauty of the administrative order conceived in the revelation of Baha'u'llah and expanded upon in the will and testament of Abdu'l-Baha. Shoghi Effendi did this by expounding and elucidating the basis and future of the administrative order in series of letters to national spiritual assemblies. For example, the system of Baha'i administration is not an innovation imposed arbitrarily upon the Baha'is of the world since the Master's passing, but derives its authority from the will and testament of Abdu'l-Baha, is specifically prescribed in a number tablets, and rests in some of its essential features upon the explicit provisions of the Kitab-i-Aqdas. To dissociate the administrative principles of the cause from the purely spiritual and humanitarian teachings would be a tantamount to a mutilation of the body of the cause, a separation that can only result in the disintegration of its component parts and the extinction of the faith itself. End quote. In another passage he states, quote, The administration of the cause is to be conceived as an instrument and not a substitute for the faith of Baha'u'llah. He goes on to explain that the international character of the cause, the complexity of its affairs, the diversity of its adherents, necessitates administrative machinery that will ensure the unity of the faith, the preservation of its identity and protection of its interests. Yet warns us that we should not let undue concern for minute details in administering the cause, partiality, ambition, and worldliness impair the effectiveness of the faith of Baha'ullah. To those who would become impatient with the seemingly slow growth and influence of the faith, Shoghi Effendi counsels, I consider it my duty to warn every beginner in the faith that the promised glories of the sovereignty which the Baha'i teachings foreshadow can be revealed only in the fullness of time. He further states in this letter, which is the first letter in the compilation called The World Order of Baha'u'llah, that the implications of this sovereignty are too far-reaching for this generation to grasp and fully appreciate, and that the storms which this struggling faith of God must encounter as the disintegration of society advances shall be fiercer, than any which it had already experienced.
1: To briefly outline the expansion of the administrative order, which Shoghi Effendi stated is both the nucleus and the pattern of the New World Order, the following were accomplished under his loving and patient but always firm direction. Establishment of National Spiritual Assemblies from none in 1922 to 56 in 1963, the concluding year of the Ten-Year Crusade. Formation of local spiritual assemblies was accelerated. Bahá'í publishing trusts and summer schools were formed. Local and national Bahá'í funds were established. The Declaration of Trust and Bylaws of the National Spiritual Assembly of the Bahá'ís of the United States and Canada in 1927 became the pattern for Baha'i National Assemblies around the world for incorporation and ownership of property. Many local spiritual assemblies were also incorporated. Buildings were acquired for national centers and land was purchased in many countries for future houses of worship. All of this expansion and consolidation provided the strongly united framework upon which the Universal House of Justice was elected in 1963, exactly 100 years after Baha'u'llah declared his mission. The means by which such tremendous expansion took place was through a series of teaching plans formulated by Shoghi Effendi. This inspired the believers to make the organized response to the directives given in Abdu'l-Baha's Tablets of the Divine Plan. For background information, it should be understood that the framework of the Cause of God is upheld by three charters. First, Baha'u'llah revealed the Tablet of Carmel, providing the impetus and authority for the development of the Bahá'í World Center in Haifa, the heart and nerve center of the administrative order. Secondly, the Tablets of the Divine Plan revealed by Abdu'l-Bahá during 1916 and 1917, conferring upon the North American Bahá'ís the primary responsibility for the promulgation of the faith throughout the world. And last, the Will and Testament of Abdu'l-Bahá instituted the guardianship and authorized development of the administrative order. Every Baha'i who is able should be familiar with all three of these documents to understand the unassailable foundation upon which the administrative order rests. The first plan the Guardian prepared was called the First Seven-Year Plan and ran from 1937 to 1944. Its three chief objectives were the completion of the exterior of the temple in Wilmette, Illinois, the formation of a local spiritual assembly in each state and province in North America. The establishment of a center in each republic of Latin America and the Caribbean. The second seven-year plan began in 1946. It called for pioneers to go to the war-torn, spiritually famished European continent to consolidate and expand the faith Throughout the Americas, to complete the House of Worship in Wilmette, and to form national spiritual assemblies in Canada, Central America, and South America. Additionally, many national spiritual assemblies were given concurrent plans. The last plan in the Guardian's lifetime was called the Ten Year World Crusade and ran from 1953 to conclude with the great jubilee celebrating the 100th anniversary of the Declaration of Baha'u'llah. It involved all the Baha'is worldwide, not just the North Americans, and had breathtaking and ambitious goals. Through the years prior, Shoghi Effendi had prepared Baha'u'llah's army of light for this world spiritual conquest. It called for the development of the world center, strengthening the bases of the twelve national assemblies then existing with a special plan for each one of them, consolidation of all new territories and getting pioneers into unopened territories. It included goals to form 48 new national spiritual assemblies. The building of two temples, one in Persia and one in Europe, purchase of 11 temple sites, erection of the International Archives building on Mount Carmel, forming six publishing trusts, and securing historic sites in Persia. With an unforeseen attack upon the lives, properties, and activities of the Baha'is in Persia, in 1955, the building of a temple in that country had to be postponed. Instead, the Guardian announced, two temples would rise, one in the heart of Africa and one in Australia. Aside from the setback in Persia, great successes were won. The Guardian's 1957 Resvon message, listing the victories, was filled with joy.